This episode was recorded during the 2023 WJA and SAG after a strikes. Without the hard work of the writers and actors currently on strike, the works covered here would not exist. We fully support the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for fair treatment and compensation in a grossly unfair and outdated system. Having consulted the FAQs, published by Variety, it clarifies that critics are not on strike and not obligated to stop reviewing movies and TV. The only restriction on podcasts is the same that applies to any medium. SAG-AFTRA members are not allowed to promote struck work. Though we're not members, we would like to state that any praise that constitutes part of our criticism applies to the artists, writers and the actors who created these works. We would like to emphasise that we fully support these strikes and that writers, actors and other artists deserve fair compensation. We also want to see our favourite entertainment return, but we recognise that a fair deal is the only way forward. This podcast is not made with any studio-provided material, support or backing. Please see links in the episode description for ways you can help in the fight for fair treatment. We do not support any studios during these strikes. I'm sure I always butcher the Klingon, but to put that into uh, some understandable English terms, welcome friends, fans and fellow warriors to another Klingon-themed episode of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast in this, our fourth series. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, why? We've been on for ages, but we'll quickly go over how we do things. First of all, though, I have to introduce myself. I am your host, a regular host, Mike Wilson. Uh, I'm joined by my usual co-host, DK. Hello, everyone. (laughs) DK this week being voiced by the late Nichelle Nichols, apparently. And uh, we are joined by two returning guests who you'll have heard on the podcasts before. Uh, first of all, uh, you'll have heard her on our previous animated review of the animated series episode yesteryear. Please welcome Mary to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me back. I'm super excited. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. No, thanks for being a great guest. And uh, she, uh, we are joined by number one Mary super fan and previous guest, Rick Everson. Welcome back, Rick. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. I uh, would just like to say for a Klingon theme, Nook Tak Ok Putpa Eh. And what does that translate to? <laughs> I think it means where is the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the only, it's, the only, it's the only phrase I can remember, but it seemed like they'd be the most useful. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're ever trapped on Kronos, we know who to approach. Like, Rick, how do you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> Next step is how to order two lagers from your Klingon bartender. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I said, we are here today to discuss a couple of episodes because they're shorter animated episodes. We will be looking at the animated series episode The Time Trap, 
and the Lower Decks episode Wedge Dooge, which is Klingon for three ships, if you weren't previously aware. That's your first little bit of knowledge for the day. So, yeah. Um, but we don't just go straight into a review. As I said, the podcast breaks down into sections. Uh, we have the legendary or infamous hit or miss section coming up uh, shortly, and it's DK's turn to do it this week, so it's my one one time a series or one rare time that I actually get to take part and don't know what's coming. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, but first of all, we do a little getting to know you section, uh, which I just like to call because I'm a geek. Uh, hailing frequencies open. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Um, we've talked to you guys before because you've both been on the podcast. So we've kind of went over your Star Trek preferences, uh, your journey, how you got into it and stuff. But this being a Klingon themed series, I'm asking all of our guests this series, uh, do you have any favorite kind of Klingon story arcs, movies, episodes, characters, anything Klingon that you wanted to shout out? And uh, we'll start with you, Mary. Anything uh, specific? Oh, uh, well, uh, actually, hmm, that's a that's a very good question. I have always, I think, I think Klingons are the ones I've paid the least attention to. <laughs> okay, well, but I will say this. I will say this. Um, as far as my favorite Klingon stuff. I actually genuinely enjoyed um, Ash Taylor's slash slash book, mm-hmm. his whole arc inside of Discovery, well, yes. because I was so torn, and I I because like he was torn, because I, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the it was just the whole you know he was trying to serve his people, but at the same time now that he's been inside with the enemy and getting intimately involved with the enemy. He mm. doesn't quite hate them the same. So yeah, yeah that was that's, that that's... was one that was pretty impactful for me. And I actually liked it the the humanizing anytime mm-hmm. I've seen like uh, in for poor choice of words, the humanizing of Klingons that they aren't just mindless killers. I, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I have a, a random quote that I'm sure I'll get to when we get to Wedge Dude from Mike McMahon, who said something similar, actually. Um, but I'll, I'll find it later when we get to it. But yeah, it's, uh, that's the second week in a row that Ash Tyler's come up because I had Jordan LaForden on to discuss the first two oh, episodes of Discovery <laughs> uh, last week. And Jordan is just obsessed with uh, Shazad Latif and Ash Tyler. She's been writing her own fan fiction about what would happen if he went to the 32nd century with them and everything. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> If you're a fan of uh, Ashton, I'll have to put you guys in touch if you want already. <laughs> Get chatting. So, uh, yeah, fair enough. Anything else that you want to shout out? Any like arcs or anything like that? Maybe any episodes? Um, uh, man, uh, I, can't, I can't think of anything. And I'm sorry that I'm like the worst person. Cool. So, you no, guys that's... go on with your. <laughs> that's not the absolute worst person. The worst person would be when I asked uh, Lady Vianne who we had on, and she was like, I hate Klingons and I hate Wolf. And I was like, wasn't what I asked, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I love I actually I know Jordan and I know Lady Van and they're both oh, very nice people. <laughs> they are they're great guests hilarious. as well. They're great people to have on. They they always good for a laugh if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So, all right, fair enough. Uh, Rick will come to you then and uh, the same question to you. Anything Klingon related that you'd like to shout out as a particular favor? Yeah, absolutely. Martok. Ah, we've had that before. Absolutely, yeah. It might have actually been Vianne when I pushed her to try and think of someone that she did like. And I think she said Martok because of the way he was devoted to Sorella and he was an honorable Klingon. And, you know, I think somebody mm-hmm. else had said they liked the connection that he had with Worf. So, sorry, I'm basically <laughs> stealing all of the things you could potentially say. But, yeah, go ahead. What, what, what yeah. else do you like about Martok? <laughs> he's brilliant. He's, um, he's everything about him. He's, uh, pretty gr- he's just awesome, really. 
anything else other than Martok that uh, springs to mind? I bet he's the one I most, most want to shout out and celebrate, I think. Fair enough, that's understandable. Uh, TK, have I actually asked you this question yet, by the way? <laughs> uh, you have. Uh, I just oh, well, forget went it then. straight to the TOS movies. Well, of course you did. Those are the best options. <laughs> I will say, just to add on, um, I'm a big fan of Galron memes. So. Oh, of course. <laughs> the glory of it. This, this would be a good... I don't have it with me, but I'll put it up on the edit, the fantastic thing that uh, DK sent me of Galron crossed with the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> oh, nice. oh, God. I'd banish that aberration from my mind. You sent me it and you were like, this is bound to come up at some point with me on the podcast. And I saved it and I was like, I'm waiting for my time. I'm biding my time. So I will share that Gowron, uh, you know, whatever it is, glory of the masters of the empire or whatever memes. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's fair enough. So uh, as I said, it'll, it's going to be a much briefer. Um... <laughs> TK, you can't send me memes when we're recording. I can't share them. <laughs> Yes, I'll, I'll put that in the edit as well. <laughs> For those of you who are curious what I'm talking about. But yeah, as I say, it's going to be a shorter little uh, getting to know you section because we kind of know everyone already and we've got other things to get to. So with that uh, said, as I say, I'm going to hand it over to you, DK. It's your turn to do the hit or miss section. Do you want to explain what it is that we do and then uh, take it from there? What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Yeah, basically, uh, we just come up with uh, a subject from Star Trek, be uh, an episode, a person, ship, anything like that, and see if they're a hit or miss with our guests. And seeing as it's me this week, and seeing as we've done an overabundance of ships recently, and Mike is the master of all ships, I'm going to stay stay well clear of those oh, today. Do. Yes, yes. Well, it just gives you more for you to play with. Uh, and I'm going to go straight to an alien race this time, and I'm going to go with the Tholians. I'm, I'm assuming we haven't done Tholians yet, Mike, is that right? I certainly can't recall, so if we have, there's certainly a new area. If not, the guests here haven't talked about it, so, you know. Okay, it's so I'll, I'll go to you first, Rick. Ooh, the Tholians. I'm going to say hits, because um, I think it's, it, it's one of the things that TOS did really well, is they had the they had the out and out balls to really just try and do something massively alien, much much more than say a, a rubber forehead. I think the Tholians are pretty a pretty great example of that because when they appeared on the view screen back in TS, you had no idea what these guys were. I mean, was that was he wearing a helmet or was it he had like some sort of diamond weird shaped life form? What was the color? You know, was it heat? Was it cold? What was it? So it was really mysterious. It's always stuck in yeah. It's one of those ones that sort of fires the imagination. Um, and then the way Enterprise did run with it a little bit as well was pretty cool. So, yeah, absolute hit. I love the Tholians. Nice one. Uh, what about you, Mary? Hit, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that they're a very interesting race. And I also like that they're uh, the name of another similar thing. I'm a big fan of Mass Effect, and there's also a Tholian in there as well. So I, lo I love it when <laughs> there's things that are... The same, but not the same, because the Tholian in Mass Effect is plant-based. Ah, I don't remember that. Which one was it in? Uh, the first one. It's the giant ah. plant that makes the uh, um, the the clones. It's ah. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I get you now. It. I get you now. It, it's triggered a synapse. <laughs> uh, what about you, Mike? 
Uh, yeah, I, I may be repeating myself. It wasn't in the hit or miss section, but I have mentioned before that I've always loved because it was one of those things that captivated me as a kid watching the original series with my mum when there wasn't many special effects that were would wow me, but the Tholian web was definitely one of them where it was just like, how come nobody's thought of this really cool idea of just capturing the ship in a laser net? It's so simple, and yet it looks amazing. Um, and it is one of the rare cases where I think the original version actually looks better than the remastered, uh, just because that was what I'm used to, and I was kind of charmed by it. Um, so yeah, I love that already. Like Rick, I was kind of always amazed at like what, the heck it was supposed to actually be i don't actually i don't personally think the people that made it knew at the time i think they were just like that'll do we'll stick it on screen but i do love that enterprise did take that and ran with it and were like this is actually the creature's head and it is this weird you know because they spin webs it's this weird spider-like creature made out of crystalline structure and it was such a cool concept and a good idea when we actually got to see what they were like like that and uh yeah but ultimately cool ships as as you know that i would appeal to me and uh, a fun race uh, in terms of uniqueness that i don't think we've seen nearly enough of i think uh, personally i would have preferred to have seen the, them be the antagonists of strange new worlds instead of the xeno gone but that's a different argument <laughs> yeah i uh, i do agree with you on that one it's it's interesting i say uh, they they altered their appearance when it came to enterprise i remember a a, a guidebook that came out for the star trek 4 edition of the uh, the FASA role-playing game and it was pretty much the Tholian's head that you saw in TOS a crystal shaft and they kind of like had this energy beam there where they just floated off the ground so it was it was very odd but uh, yeah I do like what uh, Enterprise did with them and uh, I don't know if any of you guys have played the uh, Star Trek Online game there's quite a quite a, a couple of interesting missions involving the uh, the Tholians on there and uh, yeah, I, th I like them too. So, yeah, it's a hit from me. So I think that's a hit all around. Uh, the next one, it's a person. Uh, they've not been around long, but I'm going to go with Commander Pellier. And for this one, I'm going to go straight to Mary. I genuinely like Pellier, which I find to be a little bit... Uh... Like, uh, I find a lot of people really haven't liked her, but I've always liked the actress myself. Um, she's hilarious and dynamic, and I like that her, like, Pelia, just because she's the actress. Um, she has this, you know, like, frantic energy um, while being so intelligent that she just, like, keeps going. It's, it's almost to me like... Um, if you could see, if you could see what was underneath a Vulcan's, you know, stoic exterior, because you know they, they what there's that uh, saying, still waters run deep. So there could be a lot of churning underneath. If the churning was allowed out, that's what you would find. All of the intelligence and just the constant spewing of knowledge, and whether or not it's relevant to what we're actually talking about. But I like her. She's a hit with me. Cool. Rick? Oh, absolute hits. Um, from from her first one, when they're all like, oh, no, we're, we're going to have to try and steal the Enterprise under the nose of this engineering inspector. And but, and she can see what's going on. She totally knows it. And she's on board because it sounds like a hell of a good fun thing to do. Uh, absolutely loved her from there. And she's been so, not had enough of her this season, I don't think. Um, yeah. I would happily have had more scenes. But I, I mean, this is this is the thing. There's a lot of characters there. We'd love to see more screen time on. I think so. She's definitely one. But yeah, brilliant. Love it. Hit 
Nice one. What about you, Mike? Well, mate, it's it's Carol Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's you you know my love of all things for starters, Scrooge, if nothing else. Princess yeah. Bride, another one. Transylvania um, six five thousand. Taxi, all of these things, you know. Um going way back and i think carol kane's a heck unbreakable kimmy schmidt if you want to go more recent oh god uh, yeah. So I think she's, yeah i think she's amazing I love and, that uh, show. <laughs> it was it was fun it really was it was it was well cast definitely I, I would say but yeah um without wanting to repeat myself too much because we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago when we discussed the broken circle of course i love pelly yeah she's amazing it's like that is so cool to have this being who's lived forever and instead of being like isn't life full of awe she's just like it's so boring i just want a bit of excitement she comes across to me almost like an anti-gynon in the whereas gynon's very curious she's so blase about everything but you but it doesn't come out in the character where you you put off by her and i love that and i think there's only someone like carol kane could pull that off it's like when they went back and expected her to be this expert and she's just uh, <laughs> minding her own business. Yeah. Carol Kane's performance is great as well. It just makes that character. I did say at the time of the episode review, and um, I th- actually, I think I might have edited it out, so I'll say it now. I think it was a missed opportunity that she wasn't in the episode with Amanda uh, in Strange New Worlds after they'd already set up that she was the first person that Pelia came out to as, as a Lanthanite. Um, and they did have that line of dialogue explaining, oh, she's she's off on a mission, so she won't see you. So it still kept that flame alive that they might hopefully in season three interact. But I want to see that. You know, so. Yeah, I, I'm hoping yeah. that, the, you know, they're just biding the time so that it's more impactful when it comes along. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah so another hit all around, I would have, I would have thought. Uh, next one. I'm going to go with an episode. And it's the uh, Next Generation season one episode conspiracy and i'm gonna go to you first this time man sorry me you've caught me off guard there yeah (laughs) um that's going down there aren't many things in star trek that i consider a miss but you may well have picked one of the top 10 things that i think are a travesty (laughs) just a disgrace (laughs) it's just terrible it it was overly graphic when it didn't need to be it did not make sense it makes starfleet look incredibly inept and it was ignored for like completely after that it was like, oh well we might have been infiltrated but uh, never mind we'll just never bring it up again so yeah just all kinds of fail for me i'm sorry big miss <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it did it, it seemed like they were just trying to be edgy for edgy's sake on that one and i i yeah just turned off with that so it's, it's a miss from me as well so i'm gonna to go to you now rick sorry to say guys uh you're both wrong it's absolutely <laughs> a hit there's an old man admiral who does high kicks it's incredible <laughs> oh well i hadn't considered the high kick a gold man admiral <laughs> how can you not love that you know i he takes down wharf and Riker, and it, it's dr crusher actually takes him down because she's a badass he just kind of shoots the idiot. But, ah, oh, no, I love Conspiracy. I've always loved it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a bit of a departure for it. And there's some overly stuff, you know, excessive bits, I'll agree. But um, I just like the whole notion of the secret plot and then finding out the Admirals were there. And the bit where you think Riker's, where Riker comes in and they got he's got the little bit out of there and you're just like, ah, they got to Riker. Uh, and apparently Jonathan... Jonathan Frakes actually end up accidentally eating one of those worms that he's seen in that. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, one fell in his mouth, and it didn't even get put in the episode. He was very cross about it. Yeah, I can understand that. So that's a hit from you then, Rick. Uh, what about yeah, you? Yeah, hit. Uh, uh, the only thing that was a hit about this episode is that it was uh, it premiered on my birthday, so that's about it. I am not a I'm a squeamish person, so this one, yeah, I don't go back to it. It's one I skip. Fair enough. So, would you consider it a hit or a miss? It's a miss for me. <laughs> Ooh, it's three to one. So it's. It's, you're, I'm afraid you're outvoted there, Rick. It's a, it's a mess for uh, the majority of us. Next one, I'm going. It's another uh, Next Generation season one thing. It's a race, though. I'm going to ask what each of you think about the binars. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go again to you, Rick. Um. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought the binars were an interesting concept. Um. But I think I would have liked to have seen them explored a bit more, really. Yeah. I'd have liked to have gotten a bit more into sort of what this means, what how they how they function. It's one of those things that I think it's one of those things that sounds like a great concept, but then you think, well, actually, how does that really work in day to day? And you start thinking, I wish I wish they'd got a bit more into that. So I'm going to say hit because I love I love the idea of them, um, but I think it's maybe a, maybe the softest hit because I kind of feel that they were. They could have been executed a bit better and we could have got a bit more going on with them. Okay. Um, what about you, Mary? Um, I'm going to say uh, a hit because my little self thought that they were like the perfect looking aliens. Mine's more aesthetic when I say hit. Um, I don't remember very much about them other than just like they had cool purple skin and they had really neat sparkly outfits and my kid self thought that was really neat <laughs> <laughs> very much an aesthetic thing there uh what about you mike uh in a, in a similar way my kid self just loved anything to do with like technology and uh androids robots cyborgs that kind of thing so i always felt a little bit let down by the fact that data just looked like a really pale dude and then loved it whenever he got damaged and you actually got to see little wires and stuff so um I kind of loved that it was at least a, a positive use of technology, particularly when you, uh, you you compare it to the Borg that would come like a season later. Uh, and I think it's kind of criminal that they've never actually had those two in an episode together or never compared those two. Because I think it's it says a lot that, like I said, the binars are obviously the side of, well, you can still do this. You can link everybody in one thing with technology and it will be good and a positive thing. And the Borg are very much not that. So it would be really interesting to compare and contrast and what the, see what the difference was and what, what kind of stopped the binars, I guess, from going down that route. Um, plus, as Mary said, sparkly outfits. So <laughs> yeah, uh, soft hit yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with soft hit as well. Uh, like Rick said, it's a shame that we never saw more of them as the, uh, the seasons went on. And uh, I think that was a missed opportunity. They were really intriguing. And I think, you know, back in season one of Next Generation, it was nice to see things that you wouldn't have necessarily seen before in the original series. And I think that was one of the concepts that kind of got me intriguing Next Generation, that they were, you know, delving into things that you didn't necessarily see before. And I uh, I liked them. I think it's just a shame that we, uh, we never got any further with it. So, again, it's a, a soft hit from me. And the last one, uh, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be all right, Mike, because it's a bit of a, a break. B 
but considering, not, <laughs> considering how uh, Roddenberry viewed uh, the animated series at some times and the whole canon thing, I was going to ask what everybody thought of spin-off media, and by that I mean the novels, comic books type thing. Ooh, okay. So I'll, I'll go to you first, Mike, actually. That's an interesting debate. Um, that's Yeah, that's really weird. I'm... I'm kind of one of the people. I know you probably hate me for this because you're very much the opposite. But I'm I'm very much a canon stickler, if you know what I mean. So if if it's if it doesn't really fit into the TV series or whatever as known, then for me, I I, I don't want to bother with it. Um, I was just looking the other day because there was an online sale on a bunch of Star Trek eBooks, and it was like an entire series of post Next Generation stuff that looked really interesting, but it was clearly all non-canon because it completely contradicted like Picard and Lower Decks yeah. and all of these things that have come since and I was like oh I really want to waste my time on something that I know isn't canon <laughs> you know what I mean because my my head can't really reconcile that which is I mean it's ridiculous because if I'd read it before these new things all came I'm sure I probably would have liked it but yeah um you mean you weren't and, a fan of Next Generation and the X-Men <laughs> well that's the that's the one exception i'd never actually read it but i'd be intrigued to and i did actually um i keep getting these notifications that zavi have what is it star trek green lantern the spectrum war on sale and i'm like i'm intrigued this could be trash or it could be just genius but i'm not willing to take the risk for like whatever 10 quid or whatever it is but, uh, well I've, I've not read that one but i have read uh the I, I think i posted it to you at one point the animated star trek meets transformers uh, yeah. <laughs> so what? Oh yeah. Are you serious? Oh god, oh, yeah. yeah. They, they actually they actually turned the Enterprise into a transformer at one point. <laughs> it looks so good. <laughs> it just I want a figure of it. Uh, it's completely ludicrous, but yeah, I just I just find it fun. Likewise, when they did that crossover with uh, Doctor Who, I was just going to say that. I that was sort just going to say that one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so is that a, is it a miss from you, Mike? I'd say, yeah, soft miss, because there's some things that, now that I think about it, that I do like. It's the books and things, because there's so much of a time investment that I'm kind of reluctant. But there are things, like comic book prequels, that they said were canon and now aren't. So things like Star Trek Countdown, or um, before like the 09 movie, or I think Star Trek Picard Countdown, might have been called, that was before yeah. Picard, which might or might not still be canon, yeah, which the, I did find really interesting, you know? The Countdown for, for the movie, I think that's... You know, being rewritten because it had data on as Captain oh, of the yeah. Enterprise, if I'm if I'm remembering. Data and Wolf and everybody were in different positions, so it's completely not canon remotely now. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the novels got around it recently by kind of rebooting the universe and saying that everything that went before was, you know, kind of an alternate universe. So yeah. I mean, if you if you if you can accept that, it, nah, I guess they, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not allowing them to pull a Crisis on Infinite Tracks on me. <laughs> <laughs> but come on, mate, it's still better than. Uh, Multiverse of Madness, so I can I can cope with that. So yeah, so it's 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 a soft miss from you. It's a soft hit from me. So yeah, I'll go to you uh, next, Mary. Um, I have only read a few novels myself, um, and really, I only started reading them like last year. I've enjoyed all of them, and uh, I had heard about like the um, comic books and I think I've seen some before, but I've never actually read any of them. And when I'd heard about the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover, I was intrigued. So for me, 
Um, even though I don't have a lot of experience with them, I think that I would super enjoy it. So it's a full hit with me. Oh, nice. And uh, what about you, Rick? Uh, absolute hit. I love I love the spin-off media. I love the comics. I love the books. Um, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me too much about the, the canon contradictions as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, if if I like the idea, then in my head it's canon until it's explicitly not kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so you're, I mean, you're some, fully willing there's... to accept Star Trek and Planet of the Apes? Yep. Yep. I haven't read it. Um, I have read the Green Lantern one and I've read the Doctor Who one. Um, I haven't read the Transformers one, but I really should. It sounds awesome. Rick, I have to ask um, what the Green Lantern one's like. Yeah, I'm, I was just going to say that. <laughs> I've been hovering over the purchase button a few times. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's difficult. I'm, I mean, I'm a big Star Trek. I'm a big Green Lantern fan. It's, it's all right. It's all right, but it's, it's not as mind blowing as you'd hope. Oh, if I'm good. honest, you wait for a sale. <laughs> well, for but, you know, you know. I was just gonna say, for the person who doesn't have a lot of, you know, exposure to this, what would you guys recommend? Like, what oh, should some... I go and buy? There's a lot of things I'd recommend that are or, or at least semi-canon that I do enjoy. Like um, the one that I always go to is the Voyager book Mosaic because it was oh, written by... That's one of them written... I've read. Oh, well, there you go. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. It was written by Jerry Taylor who kind of basically co-created Voyager and Janeway. So it's her backstory in the same way that Tapestry kind of does that for Picard. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, really good book. Um Likewise, I read the Day of Honor series. Again, they're probably not canon now, but it was a combination of four across the four series at the time. So there was a TOS, a Next Gen, a DS9, and a Voyager book. Uh, particularly the Next Gen Wharf book, I, I think I specifically enjoyed the most. But they were all pretty good, and it was nice to have that combined series. But uh, <laughs> the only thing that linked them is that they all took place on the Day of Honor. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I do recommend the the Doctor Who one. I do like that. I do recommend the Transformers just because it's so batshit crazy that you just can't help but <laughs> laugh and love it. And uh, I do love the uh, the novel Federation. It's completely not canon now, thanks to First Contact, but uh, I, I still think it's a, a really good book. I, oh, I would... Talking about things that aren't necessarily good, sorry to interrupt you, Rick, but they're, they're completely batshit. Any of the um, post-generations William Shatner novels where he just throws everything against oh, the wall. Oh, The Return. I, will, I thought, shall I list The Return? I thought, no, I can't in good conscience recommend that. Oh, but... it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's not canon, and it is just Shatner and the Reeve Stevens just being like, hmm, how many things can we connect, and how many things can we throw against the wall? How many times can we resurrect Kirk and make him an ultimate yeah. hero? And Shatner became a messiah, pretty much, didn't he? <laughs> Basically, yeah. But I mean, the, the crazy theories in that really are like appealing, like the idea that Vija was from the Borg. And oh, so with Spock having never, mind melded with it, he's like I've resistant. I've never been on board with that. Never I'm been not on board with it as a cool, as like a, a canon idea, but exploring it in that kind of alternate world, I guess, was kind of like, oh, that's an interesting way of viewing things. <laughs> so you are you are involved in this multiverse nonsense? At times, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I... In fact, that's the thing, though. I mean, I, I read those before anything else had come out that would have contradicted them because we hadn't really had even first contact when I read those. I was much younger, so it was kind of like, okay, this is the canon official follow-on. It's written by Shatner and whatever. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the novel, the probe novel's good. I don't know if any of you guys have read that. That follows up to uh, the voyage home. I'll be honest. I, I yeah. tried and I struggled with it. Oh, I really enjoyed that one. 
Yeah, I, I, I was struggling with that. I mean, I keep meaning to go and have another go. I might just have been in, in the wrong mood, but yeah, I was struggling with that one. Oh, cool. I, I think there is an abridged audio book read by uh, Jimmy Doohan. That might be, uh, mm. be worth your while. Yeah. So what about you, Rick? Any recommendations with regards to... Yeah, um, and I've, I've said it on, on this podcast before, but I think the um, the Eugenics Wars series is fantastic. Yes. But it does a great job of placing Khan's rise to power in relation to real-world events from the 80s and one of, 90s. One of the reasons I was peeved off with Strange New World Season 2 was that they basically retconned all that out of existence, and I'm like, no, you do not yeah. do that to the Eugenics Wars books. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like oh, those are out the window. But you know, they're still good. They're still good read. I think it's still good fun. Yeah, I think I think if, if you know if you if you're short of, and not that we are short of uh, stuff on TV now, but you know if if you come to the end of a rewatch and you want any more, I think it's always a good uh, a good thing to pick up a book and and, and have a mm. read. You, you get you know the odd the odd angle, and you know. The worst book is still better than some episodes of Voyager, which I'm not going to get into. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it for hit or miss this time, Mike, and I'm going to go back to you. So, uh, yeah, with that uh, with that done, then we'll jump into our first review, which is going to be the animated series episode, The Time Trap. Um, so, as is customary, I'm going to start with a little bit of behind-the-scenes information, which hopefully isn't too boring or stuff that everybody already knows, uh, just to kind of, you know, get us uh, settled into the episode before we start talking about it, and then I'll take it from there. Let me just start by saying that the writer of this episode, Joyce Perry, remembered how she came up with the story. Uh, she said, I had this idea that a Klingon ship and the Enterprise would get trapped in a Sargasso Sea of space and be forced to cooperate to escape. Evidently, Perry embellished the episode with references to her real-life inspiration of the Sargasso Sea. Not only is the area mentioned in the dialogue, but the name of the region where the episode's anomaly occurs is an obvious reference to the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I think we kind of, we all pretty much gathered that, didn't we? <laughs> um Telling Jean Roddenberry of her idea for the Enterprise's means of escape was challenging for Perry. Uh, she said, I remember telling Jean this bizarre notion that two ships could combine engines and become more powerful as one than they were separately. I explained it with a straight face, but was afraid he might laugh me out of his office. Instead, he was quiet for about 30 seconds, then said, that's pretty good. Do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, for its depiction of the Klingon character Kuri, this episode reused animated footage from the episode More Tribbles, More Troubles, in which the footage was used to represent Koloth. So, yeah, it's not him, if anybody's curious. Um, although the character of Klingon Commander Kor was most frequently played by John Colicos in the original series and DS9, the role was, like many, many, many other roles, voiced by James Doohan in animated form. Uh, this is one of two animated series episodes that feature the most characters voiced by the late, great Nichelle Nichols, the other one being the Lorelei signal, for which, in common with this episode, Nichols provides the voices for a total of four different roles. In this episode, she voices Uhura, two different Elysian council members, and the Klingon woman who plants the bomb on the Enterprise. So, quite a range. Uh, <clears throat> many of the vessels in this episode's graveyard of ships were unapproved early, uh, sorry, were unapproved early designs for the insectoid starship from the episode Beyond the Farthest Star. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this. In the captain's log, the initial star date is given as 52.2, but later corrected to 52.67.6. The final draft of the script states that the correct date in Kirk's initial log was supposed to be 52.64.2, but presumably Shatner just doesn't do retakes. So, <laughs> uh, the Council of Elysia includes an Orion woman, a Vulcan, a Klingon, a creature that has batwing ears and looks a little bit like a prototype Kazinti, prefiguring the slaver weapon, an Andorian, an unknown insectoid race, a Phylogian from the animated episode The Infinite Vulcan, two unidentified humanoid races, a Tellarite, a human, and a Gorn. And a Barbie so... doll. 
<laughs> and someone with a very annoying voice. Uh, this is the second of five appearances of Klingon Commander Kor. He was originally seen in the original series Errand of Mercy, which we reviewed earlier this season, and he was later featured in the Deep Space Nine episodes Blood Oath, The Sword of Kalos, and Once More Unto the Breach. The fact that Kor commanded the IKS Clothos is one of several facts from the animated series that later became official canon because it was mentioned on Deep Space Nine. So there we go. Even when uh, Roddenberry didn't want it to be canon. Uh, and weirdly, this episode marks the final appearance of the smooth forehead version of the Klingons. Six years and two weeks later, Star Trek The Motion Picture hit cinemas with a new look for the Klingons. The look was changed slightly again for the search for Spock, and this look was more or less used in all future Star Trek series. We won't get too far into that. We did that with Discovery last week. <coughs> However, smooth-headed Klingons reappear in the later produced Deep Space Nine Trials and Tribulations once the Defiant travels to the time frame of the original series, and in the Enterprise episode Divergence when the Klingons are afflicted with augment DNA. Um, this episode has a similar plot, talking about uh, spin-off comics, to the Gold Key original series comic book issue number 15, called Museum at the End of Time, which was written by comic book legend Len Wine. If you don't know him, he basically created Wolverine. Or co-created. <laughs> it was dated August 1972, which means the comic story was printed a little more than a year before this episode was first aired. Make of that information what you will. And that's all I've got for the behind-the-scenes information this week. Uh, so, yeah, any thoughts on any of those things, uh, DK? <laughs> Come to you first for no particular reason. Uh, no, I, I did a similar thing. I'd like to, you know, in my head canon, I've convinced myself that the insectoid race is a member of the Zindi. Yes, uh, let's do that. But but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I didn't know uh, I didn't know quite a lot of that. What we're going to do then? The way we do this, we tend to break this down into sections so that we're not just doing a play by play recap of the episode, which hopefully you've all seen. Uh, because these are animated episodes and there's not a lot to say, I'm basically going to break it into three sections, which would be the writing slash plot, the acting or voice acting in this case, and then basically anything else. So that would encompass direction, special effects, uh, sound and music, etc. Because there's not a lot to say about each, and they kind of all feed into each other. So. Uh, jumping straight to it, then with the acting, uh, I'm going to come to you first, Rick, and say, uh, what did you make of the voice acting in this episode? So, um, oh, all right, so something that was bugging me, and I had to go and check it out, was so your, your lead council member, Sirius, I was like, is that Chaka from Thundercats? <laughs> uh, it's not. It's James Doohan. Um, but it, it really did put me in mind of Jaga from Thundercats for a while. Um, yeah, so I w I'm disappointed. And this is no this is no disrespect to James Doohan. Um, but not having John Colacos come back as core was a huge misstep, I think. Because he was brilliant. Um, well, it's not like other people hadn't come back because they'd already had, um, let's see, Stanley... Uh... Adams, I think, a Serrano Jones had returned, and yeah. um, I'm forgetting everything. Mark Leonard came back as Tarek, didn't he? Mark Leonard as Tarek in The original Harry Mudd, whose name completely escaped me, even though he's in Transformers, the movie. Uh, Roger C. Carmel, I think, he returned for that one episode, so it's not oh. without precedent. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to... Who does he play in Transformers? I have no idea. I know he's in Transformers, the movie, because oh. he's credited, but DK would be the person to ask about that. <laughs> what, uh, what's the actor? Who's the actor again? Uh, Roger C. Carmel, who played Harry Mudd, he's definitely credited in the movie of Transformers, but I don't know which Transformer he voices. I don't recall any character being voiced oh. by him. But the I mean, the credits up. on Transformers the movie are erroneous at best, so I, I can look it up. I'll look it up now. I'm, when, I'm, I'm uh, just really curious as who it would be. Um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, and also the other part of I think Core is I don't think Core was particularly characterised very well in the writing. 
So I just don't. It, it, this it was it it was generic, devious, duplicitous Klingon mm-hmm. to me. It was nothing that really jumped out as core. Like the core was just when you watch Aaron and Mercy, he's incredible, uh, and you just didn't get really that sort of sense from him. It is a little bit disappointing, in fact, that Core would stoop to such a a, a yeah. bizarre scheme as like, right, we'll we'll team up this, but I'm going to have one of my people put this glowing what's it in in your ship to blow it up. I think that uh, falls into the writing. I, I felt the same. It was. It probably like, does. Sorry, I'm I'm over. No, no, this is this is just a very basic plot. I'm sure we'll get back to it. But yeah, I just thought this is. I know it's Saturday morning cartoon stuff, but it did just seem to go from we have to work together to ha ha ha, we won't really. And then even at the very end, it's kind of like Kirk's just like, well, they try to sabotage you and whatever. Ah, oh, well, never mind. We're home. I'm like, really? Mm. <laughs> it just seems like, all right, <laughs> I guess we're we're done then. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, answer your previous I... question, by the way, Roger C. Carmel voiced Cyclonus in Transformers the movie, and then various yeah, other characters. I, in the I just read season. that, and then I'm thinking that can't be right. Oh, it's right. <laughs> Definitely is. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about um, the acting. So, yeah, uh, in terms of like the main characters, Rick, what did you make of like the likes of Kirk, Spock, whoever else actually appeared? I think Uhura had quite a decent, sizable role in this. She did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think I feel to an extent uh, with some of these that Shatner's kind of phoning it in a little bit, isn't he? I think he's so, trying a bit harder in this one than he does in some of the others, but even still, it's uh, it's a paycheck, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I think probably part of the problem is the the style of animation is is not quite as dynamic as as, as Shatner's dramatic style would 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 really require. So he he tends to come off as a bit, a bit flatter and slower, and I don't think I don't know if that's necessarily an acting choice he makes or just the way it all meshes together, but. Uh, doesn't this, yeah, and this is more maybe a comment on the the animated series as a whole, uh, which I enjoy, but is obviously not my my favourite Star Trek. Mm. Um, that said, it's nice, it's nice, it is good that um, the other actors get to have a bit of a broader thing to play with that they can go and do, like Dewan and Nichols can have a load more different roles to play with. Yeah, uh, some would some would say too many, perhaps, but <laughs> fair enough. Well, so, and, uh, what about you? Uh, sorry, go ahead, Rick. <laughs> I was just going to say, in fairness, Dewan can do a lot of voices. He can, but it just yeah. always sounds like Dewan to me. And other people don't have that, because I was discussing it with um, uh, Adrienne on our Discord, and she says, oh, I never, because it's not a Scottish accent, I never recognised James Dewan. I'm like, really? I always recognise when it's clearly yeah. him. <laughs> no, anyway. I, I didn't. I mean, I thought it was Jaga, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah, uh, Mary, I was going to ask you, what did you make of the regular voice acting and also uh, the the new characters for a start, like Arex and Emrez? Not that Arex gets much to do or, or is in this episode, but as I said, the, the fact that they can branch out and do uh, different voices, uh, Nichelle and, and James doing, etc. What did you make of them? Well, I am also a person who, if he didn't have his Scottish accent, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it had me. Um, uh, but... And I guess I've always been impressed by people who can, you know, affect different voices. So, um, but overall, I think I fall in line with Rick on this where I just, and maybe honestly, it's because I've been steeped in lower decks and stuff lately mm. that it's, it, it, it feels flat. It does. It, it feels flat, but I also am, you know, I, I try and put myself in the, in the space of, okay, this was made in the 70s, and mm. this is actually 
more par for the course and the time. Um, so I don't, uh, I, I don't dislike it. Um, I actually thought that um, in particular, um, just a little note that I had was mm -hmm. that um, I did feel like uh, Leonard Nimoy did give his voice a little bit more sparkle when he was pretending to be mm -hmm. more interested in their like, why is Spock acting so weird? So I was like, yeah. oh yeah, he did. Get that. He... I, I'm glad you brought that up because it was something I made a note of because I'd never seen the time trap until we came to watch it for this. Because oh. I'm just working my way through the animated series now. And when that happened, I was like, why is Spock acting weird? What's going on? So I was kind of like reacting like the Klingons did in real time. And I was like, what is this? Is Nimoy doing what's what's happening? And then when it actually when it was revealed that it was like the deception at the end, I was like, Oh, that's actually really brilliantly acted because I was like, What is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I was watching I, I actually watched this um uh, with a friend of mine who has very little um Star Trek exposure. And this was the first episode of the animated series that he's ever watched. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this podcast. So he was like, well, why don't we watch one of the episodes? Then I was like, all right. Because he's watched all of Lower Decks. So he had already seen Rage Dude. And um, oh. so I was like, well, this is the one I'm supposed to, you know, like watch for. And I have watched it before, but it, it had probably been more than a year. And so I was like, I need to refresh. And so it was like watching it again because <laughs> I'd only watched it once. And um, I did. I ex exactly had that reaction. I was like, why is Spock acting so weird? Like, what's mm -hmm. going on? Something's up. And I was like, did he like do some kind of like Vulcan telepathy sort of thing? I'm like, I know that's what he did. I know that's what he did. And I was calling it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I will say, um, I, I was really impressed with Nimoy, and I thought he acted that really well. But on the flip side of that, when Takei is doing Sulu affected by the environment, I was just like, he just sounds like George Takei's had a few too many. He sounded just really <laughs> drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Where did he go? Yeah, everybody just seemed really <laughs> drunk. And then with uh, <laughs> Spock got their arms around the Klingons at the end, I thought, we've just walked into some kind of Star Trek frat party. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. We're, we're going to get to that when we hit the audience <laughs> response, I'm sure, how much of a frat party it got to be in Alicia. Um, but yeah, so DK, what did you make of the voice actor? Like you, uh, I know it's doing when, uh, you know, when it's when it's other than Scotty. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, I knew Curie was George Takei because I wrote that down not even knowing it. I was like, this is George Takei doing this yeah. voice. And yeah, it was. <laughs> and obviously, you know, it's it's Nichelle. I, I think the the regular cast did okay. It's, uh, as you say, Spock's a little more little more sparkly, a little more animated than normal. I do agree with Rick. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, on occasion that, uh, oh, nice picture of Eric's there. Uh, I do yeah, like I <laughs> I do agree with Rick that Shatner sometimes just seems to kind of phone in a little. Uh, mm. I also got that impression from uh, Kelly on this one. I, he didn't have much to do. Oh, yeah. Well, he did, he barely featured the first time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's passable. Uh, Michelle Nichols erred on the side of... You know, it gets a bit pantomime sometimes. Oh, uh, I have to, I have to do that. That's that's my cue. I have to do this because for whatever reason, this sound file is embedded on Memory Alpha when you look up this episode. So just to give people a clue, what we're talking about here. Two new ships in each beings labor to solve the riddle. The riddle 
there you go <laughs> yeah as soon as she came on I just, my, in my notes i've got she's high <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that character's been all the way to eden <laughs> it is. It is. they're all stood around having a bit of a get together you know she's the orion woman's out there doing a bit of dancing you know doing some psychic tricks uh and then yeah megan's she's in the back room getting high on shit and, and predicting people's fortunes for a, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Just fake fortune telling getting high. Yeah. I, I did think for what it's worth that Nichelle Nichols did a good job considering that she does four roles. I think they're all decently differentiated. And even though you could argue that Megan is yet ridiculously over the top and high, at least she's doing something different, you know, as opposed to like, like doing can vary it up. But like I said, when George Takei does the Klingon Curry, it just sounds like Sulu. So it's yeah, kind of like, oh. There's varying yeah, it up a bit, and there's over-egging the pudding. I didn't mm. mind it. If you did, if you did I, I certainly can't argue that fact. But oh, no, it's not that I didn't like it. it just, I mean, it, it's one of these things that I just love the animated series for. It's just so <laughs> gonzo. Yeah. That I, just, yeah. I, I can't help but love it. That's understandable for sure, yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any other notes about that. Just in terms of the acting, I did think, it, I don't think this is acting so much as writing, but I thought I was quite surprised at the turn that Chatner did when he was like sticking up for the Klingons, even though he was kind of proved wrong, I guess. And uh, Chatner said the word, he said sabotage, <laughs> which yes. was, always makes me laugh. I say sabotage. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know that story, look it up. I'm not getting into it now. <laughs> yeah, I will so say any. I, I was gonna. I have one more thing that I was gonna say because when I was watching this with my friend, there was just this one spot when the uh, when the Klingons get caught on the ship being in the place where they're not supposed to be, and they're with that uh, you know the uh, security officer comes, mm -hmm. and they're like, "We got the the guy he, when uh, the Klingon that says we got lost." I swear, I swear, we me and my friend both started laughing, and um, I was like, "That sounds like." Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> Beavis, where's, where's, where's the brain? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 so on, dumbass. So, so, I know, I was waiting for the witch. It's like, shut up. She's like, puny humor. <laughs> Plant the bomb already, would you? I had, to, I had to pause it because we were laughing so hard about that. <laughs> Well, now it's going to be all I think when I hear that. Yeah. I hope it is. If, if I can ruin or maybe even make it more enjoyable. then Oh, it's making it enjoyable. Like, like TK said, you've kind of got to lean into the fact that the animated series is just so bizarre. Oh, and yeah. you, either, you either like that or you shouldn't be watching it. <laughs> so yeah, the writing slash plot of this, like I said, it's, it's very simplistic. It's quite obviously the Bermuda Triangle, even though space is three-dimensional, so it really should be the Delta Pyramid. But, you know, that's a very nerdy <laughs> take on the situation. Um, this is one thing I wanted to ask because it kind of, it seems to make the episode non-canon and render it that way. Um, what did you guys make of the appearance of the Bonaventure, which is quite a big deal? the, oh, the Enterprise. <laughs> which, by the way, looks much better when you uh, see the version that they made for the Ships of the Lion character, uh, ca ah, calendar and that they released as an Eagle Moss model. Everybody can mark their bingo card. That was my Eagle Moss reference. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but in here it is just, yeah, chubby enterprise. But, yeah, so what do you make of the idea that this was supposedly the first ship with warp drive installed? And like so many things in TOS, we've had to... There's been lots of attempts to try and retcon it back to making sense, but it's obviously not, right. you know, it's not the Phoenix. It's not 
it doesn't look anything like you know uh, the NX class or anything that came before it. So, what do you make of that? And uh, again, Rick, we, we might come to you first. What do you make of this Bonaventure situation? <laughs> yeah. So this this one um, I was a bit like, sorry, what? what? Um, it, yeah. If anything, it looks like more. It looks like it might even be more advanced than than the Enterprise, like or bigger. So it was a bit of a weird one. I feel like there was a bit of a thing they hadn't really thought through. So I'm not yeah. I'm not too it's one of those things I sort of let go, like so many things in the original series obviously didn't don't quite jibe with canon sometimes. So Yeah. Um I will say that part um, of me all sort exactly. of thought, or maybe they're just referring to oh, this is the first that was the first ship fitted with the warp drive as we know it now, the sort of the current generation of warp drive. That's one of the one of the workarounds that somebody did in one of the books was to say it was the first ship fitted with like a Mark II Cochrane second stage warp drive or whatever. Yeah. Clearly not the intention, but you've got a headcanon it somehow. Yeah, and I was, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah. I was just going to say, though, that there was apparently a previous Bonaventure, which has been made canon by, I've completely forgotten who it was, but whoever did the set designing for DS9, who put a, an actual primitive-looking ship and called it, like, the CVS Bonaventure and said that it was very definitely an animated series reference. So in his mm -hmm. mind, it's just they're just referring to it as the Bonaventure is maybe either the same way that, you know, the Titan is the same ship in its core or whatever, or it's just they just mean the Bonaventure is, shares the name of the first ship to have warp drive installed. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's it's beloved by people, even though it's kind of hard to rectify and to, to make sense of canon. I will say as well, has the weirdest registry number I've ever seen, which is officially listed as 10281NCC. <laughs> it's it's completely arse backwards and it's way too long. It doesn't make any mm. sense. But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I, I do love uh, though, even though it was on screen for all of four seconds, um, they've still made an Eagle Moss model of it. Oh, yeah, well, not of that. It's, it's the much better looking one, but yeah. And that one actually has the registry NCC 1000, which makes more sense. But, yeah. Oh, well, then, then I don't like the model. If they, if they can't do it properly. You can customise it. You can buy decals and make it look nonsensical <laughs> if you want. But, yeah. So um, what about you, Mary? What did you make of this? Or did you just... Are we just being over geeky and you were just like, I didn't think anything? Uh, well, I, uh, while you guys have been talking, I went and I looked it up because I did... It did strike me. I was like, that's not the first ship with warp drive. So... and. As I think maybe you remember from the last time I was on here, uh, I am not a big ship person. But that being said, I did think it was a really weird looking one. And uh, I, I can't understand. It, this is one that's like, I don't even know how this thing flies because it's just so, it's just so odd. It has such a heavy bottom and like <laughs> the, the cells are way, way big. And the front i don't i don't even want to call it a saucer are you body shaming the bonaventure i right am i am i'm like <laughs> it was just so weird but you know it was only there briefly it, i was like how is this the first ship with warp drive and then i was confused and then i forgot about it so <laughs> <laughs> which is probably the sensible saying way to, to address these things what about you dk i haven't approached you and you, you're quite geeky like us did you have any thoughts about this or not care <laughs> i I just, it's it look it's there. It looks a bit silly. I, I, could, <laughs> I could see what they were going for. Uh, you know, I mean, going on about body shaming it. Maybe it's you know the 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 first one was walk drive because it ate the previous ones. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's dude. Yeah. <laughs> 
next thing I have about the writing, I'd like to know how you guys, uh, what you think of the approach that they took of, first of all, <laughs> this line that bugs me no end because it just doesn't make sense in my head of, it's more like a pocket in the garment of space, <laughs> which just sounds like a nonsensical metaphor that somebody thought that'll do. And Maybe then the idea that, uh, from the MCU. <laughs> Good God, no. <laughs> and related to that, the idea that time passes differently, so apparently a century means nothing to them, which I guess means, I don't know, time moves, must move super fast compared. I don't know. I can't work out the maths there of what that means relative to, to our universe, but what did you think of all of this? And just generally about the Delta Triangle. And just to, to mix it up a bit, we'll come to you first, Mary, this time. <laughs> well, the whole time thing, uh, it does make you wonder if the time if time passes quickly or slowly because they don't age. They don't seem to be aging at the same rate. Like they should be like, as long as the people have been in there, they should be dead, you know, cause like Kirk said, you know, he expected that they would be, you know, their descendants of the people yeah. on the ship. And it's the first set of people on the ship. They aren't, ha they yeah. haven't gotten there yet. Um, so that made me wonder a little bit and, uh, you know, this will never be answered. But uh, what was time passing like outside while they were inside? Well, that's the thing. It means it kind of, it's also another thing they don't explain in terms of like when the Enterprise breaks out, how much right. time has passed? Is, uh, that, that's obviously what I'm assuming what you mean is like, yes, how much time has exactly. passed in our universe? Is it like, Correct. oh, because time's so different, it's only been a second? Or is it like, we've missed 10 years? <laughs> you know, right. Did they, you know, yeah, it was like our five-year mission was over like 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But again, it just it just ended with Kirk going, ah, home is what matters. Quickly end the episode and let the Klingons oh, go. No, the, the abruptness of that was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> guess this is over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, yeah, not not the best ending either, but fair enough. And um, I will say as well, related to the whole time thing, I did find it kind of annoying that Scotty says something with with intense panic. He's like, the dilithium crystals are deteriorating rapidly. We've got to act fast. And then Kirk asks how long he's got. We've got only about four days. I'm like, that's deteriorating rapidly to you? Four days? Come on, man. <laughs> it, does, it does pretty much match up with the stuff going on on screen, though. I, there, there was a section, there was a, a, a point where Kirk's looking at a view screen and he's referring to the Klingon captain and he says, oh, he isn't giving up. And it shows the Klingon ship moving backwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It all, it all <laughs> adds to this, to this vibe to me that it is like, the, as I said before, like this frat party. I mean, they enter the, they enter the entire thing with a bunch of fireworks going off. It does <laughs> seem like it's like spring break in the, in the Trek universe to me. <laughs> I did make a note in terms of the visuals that when they get sucked into it, it appears that they've been uh, captured by the Umbrella logo from Resident Evil. Which oh, seems God, to be yeah. Old <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so what about you, Rick? What do you make of this whole Delta, Delta Triangle situation? Um, yeah, I mean, the whole the, the whole time discrepancy. I was like, this should be like a reverse Narnia. What's going on? But, <laughs> exactly, Yeah. yeah. Um, I did. I, I absolutely loved the line "pocket in a gar in the garment of space." I thought that was brilliant because it's complete nonsense. Um, and <laughs> That's I like why that. I don't... <laughs> I, I've got to love it though because it's, it's like it just suggests that we're we're in some sort of alternate dimension, universe, or pocket continuum that is just so unknowable to us. We, it's beyond our understanding at this point. What bugs me slightly is that Kirk and Spock didn't 
sort of try and question that at all. Mm. They didn't sort of say, okay, what, 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 what does that mean? And then afterwards, well, I think of some of the things they've been through in TOS, like some of the alternate universes they've been to, or the you know accelerated time and stuff, and they just accept like pocket in the garment of space with a shrug, like oh, makes sense. Like what? Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've got neither the time nor the inclination to explain this any further. So Kirk's <laughs> just going to accept this today. We've got a frat party to get to. That's all we need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, so anything else about the, the writing from anyone? I have a couple of quick notes just to finish us off, if not. I've, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in the whole slightly odd thing about Spock, which, you know, it's kind of like a reasonable plan that he's going over and being all chummy with the Klingons because he's trying to you know, basically touch them to get a quick mind meld type thing. <laughs> yeah, so fun. Brilliant. You make it sound really, really dodgy. <laughs> So Spock's well, just trying to feel the Klingons at this frat party, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it was the way that no one knew. Kirk, I think, would have been in on that. He would have known what he was doing. Mm. Yeah. If that had been an episode of TOS, it might have even have been Kirk's idea. Yeah. In, in my things. I just think that was a bit of a weird characterization that Kirk then had to take for a chat and go, Spock, we've all noticed you're being really weird. Uh, care to explain? <laughs> Uh, it just says it's a party, Jim. Like, no, we'll see Megan, she'll sort you out. <laughs> yeah, but clearly, the, the the woman from the Elysian High Council shared her stuff with Spock because he's exactly. <laughs> Spock, <laughs> have some speed. <laughs> I've, I've got a few notes here. Uh, I've, I've got down there's, there's a, a, a line where somebody says, Ships, I've only seen crude drawings of, and I'm, I put the jokes are just writing themselves at this point. <laughs> you know, one was, you know, the whole like, oh, just let the Klingons go. And I was like, well, that's just really weird. But the yeah. other part is um, because because it came up when um, Kirk was talking with. Oh, and now I can't think of the Orion name. What What's her name? I don't know any anyway, names. Just... <laughs> okay. Anyways, he was he was speaking with the Orion. Oh, and that reminds me of something else I was going to say. Okay, sorry. So he was speaking with the Orion and, and at, right after her dance and everything. And he, mm. you know, she's like, you've seen other Orions. And he goes, yes, many times. And she said that she would like to go back. And he offered, you know, to take them. Mm. What happened with all those people after they realized that they could have gotten out, that there was a way to get out? Yeah, it's like both ships disappeared because they've been like, sitting in there for how long? Yeah. And they and they're just like, yeah, we well, we've just accepted our fate and everything, and they just watch them like, well, we're gonna watch them fail, and then they'll be like us. But then they didn't fail, and then they're like, well, hell, yeah, both, both <laughs> ships will disappear. There'll be silence for a bit, and then Zerius will go, well, shit, <laughs> right? Should, should exactly. probably have gone to that thing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because if they can get out, that means they could probably get back in and then get back yeah. out again and like like share the information. Just yeah, you know, this is what we did. But the other thing that I was going to say is uh, what I thought was interesting was that they had the Orion woman as you know kind of like their de facto co-leader with Sirius. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because Orion women are not you know at that point in time were objects. You know, mm -hmm. they were not used used they were not thought of you know for their like intelligence or anything really and i just I, to me i thought that was that was kind of an interesting and uh you know change 
Yeah. I do think that's that quite indicative of the animated series, though. It does get a lot of stick, but it gave Uhura much more of a pronounced role. You got, oh, yeah. you know, Morass. Yeah. And there were quite a lot of uh, storylines that did, you know, feature female, you know, antagonists, as it were, protagonists. The, I think they did really good on representation. The, the Lorelei mm -hmm. signals an episode where it is just literally yeah. the women of the right. Empire taking over. Or, or right. Mud's Passion, which finally gives Chapel an episode where she has something to do and a bit oh, of agency, yeah. you know? <laughs> but, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's getting off topic. But yeah, I just said, uh, in terms of the writing and plot, I just wanted to say uh, it took entirely too long for them to reference the fact that this was supposed to be core. So I didn't realize it until about halfway through the episode. <laughs> like, it would have killed them to have a line of dialogue of like, ah, oh, core, we face each other again. But it was just really weird that it was dropped out of nowhere. Um, I really liked the idea that the, it's a familiar Trek trope, but I like the idea of like Klingons and Starfleet. You're going to have to work together to, to do better. And um, I didn't really get a chance to discuss it when you reviewed uh, Day of the Dove, DK, but yeah, that's one of the things I liked about that episode. So again, like you guys, I felt really cheated and shortchanged when it was like, you're going to have to work together. And then it turns out the Klingons were just like, Psh, like shit. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to make them think we are, then blow them up. Ha <laughs> ha. Which is like, oh, come on. That's so. <laughs> Since we're doing like Klingon themed stuff, that was just so like, oh, it's just not, it doesn't seem very Klingon for a style. It's pretty dishonorable to be like, haha, blow them up on the sly. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's just like, it, it came out of nowhere and was just disappointing. You'd be like, come on, learn. You, you've got to be out for each other a little bit. You know what I mean? And then, like I said already, we've touched on it a million times. Like, to just let them go with Kirk being like, let, let them go. We're home. That's what really matters. And, this D7 just does off whilst in Federation space, like, oh, well, bye-bye. <laughs> We're not going to get captured as prisoners of war or anything, even though we tried to kill you. So, yeah. There were a couple of things that I noticed that I wanted to bring up, but they're not really... I mean, they're kind of related, but it's... Um, I don't know if it's by accident or by design. First of all, I really like that when the ships, the three Klingon ships are facing the Enterprise, they're not just in a line. For the first time, somebody remembers that space is three-dimensional, so they're all on different, like... I guess latitudes or whatever you would call it. So they're like slightly above or slightly below or to one angle. And it's it's rare that you see space battles like that. It's usually the Enterprise D directly in front of a Romulan warbird, forgetting that it's, you know, space is infinite directions you can go in. So I always appreciate when Star Trek does a bit more than that. Um I loved obviously the Easter eggs and the Elysian Council. I was standing there counting the different species and things. You guys probably don't know this because I've only just started doing this, is to try and give the podcast name a bit of sense. Uh, I'm just quickly going around and saying four things that we think are a hit and four things we think are a miss from these episodes. And since there are four of us, we, we may as well all go and pick one each. So, DK, one thing that you would say was a hit in this episode? Megan. Megan, the character. Nice. Fair enough. What about you, Rick? Uh, the, the concept, I think, of the of the Delta Triangle, I, I like the idea of, of, of the Bermuda Triangle in space. Fair enough. Mary? I was going to say the progressive use of women. Fair enough. Awesome. That makes sense. Absolutely. Because, yeah, leadership positions and things. Mm -hmm. um, I said all of those things, but I also just being me, I, of course, said I appreciated the really geeky visuals and Easter eggs and references. So they were a hit for me. Uh, and then, yeah, one thing each then, if you guys don't mind, that you would say was a miss. And we'll go the other way and we'll come to you first, Mary. Uh, the Klingon... The Klingon uh, Beavis and Butthead guy. That was <laughs> <laughs> we were lost. <laughs> <laughs> Got no honor, Beavis. <laughs> 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 
I'll let you guys all work on your American accents here with me. <laughs> I, I can only apologize. <laughs> anyway. No, I love it. <laughs> Rick, one, one thing that you would say was amiss maybe in the episode. Core. Yeah, and I hate to say yeah. I love core, but he just wasn't the core that I would know and love from this. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, what about you, DK? Uh, I'm going to go, and I know, you know, time limitations, but the really, really what seemed like a rushed ending. Yep, I, that was my top one that I had, so you've took mine, but uh, yeah, I was just going to say it's too short. I mean, it's a problem yeah. you have with the animated series in general being 22 to 24 minutes, but it just seemed like there were a lot of big ideas that I would have liked explored, as I said, like the idea of these people that have adjusted to living there and don't want to break out, but some might and everything, and these are big ideas that don't get time to to sit and, and be explored so i was disappointed with that uh, right so the next thing we're going to do then is to give our favorite character moment and line quickly from the episode uh how should we do this let's go to you first rick <laughs> who's your favorite character in the uh, in the episode i think spock spock is my Fair favorite enough. character in this just because he's being kind of crazy and out of character but i love his reasoning for it that's fair. I literally said exactly the same thing for the same reason, so I'll just get that out there now rather than waste time later. So, yeah. yeah, I'm going to third. That's thirded. Same for oh, me. Well, fair. Yeah, Spock was my favourite in this episode, but my line is different, so yeah. Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, that's four for four for the character of Spock then. So what was your favourite moment? And uh, uh, yeah, Mary, we'll come to you. <laughs> well, like I said, the, you know, like the... The miss for the episode was, you know, the Klingon commander. But, but my favorite line was the response from this the Starfleet security officer that was like, lost my foot. So, and the way that it was so <laughs> flatly delivered. So it was more like, lost my foot. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite moment? You give us a favorite line. What was your favorite moment uh, in total then? Uh, the, uh, the, the favorite moment was it really was i mean as much as i laughed it was that scene right there <laughs> fair enough that's okay then that's okay um rick we'll, we'll ask you both then because we've had both from mary what was your favorite moment and your favorite line in whatever order you want <laughs> uh, so i think when with the klingons who were lost i think it was in spock goes up and just like puts his hand, hands over either of them <laughs> and i can't remember exactly what the line was it was basically it's just Along the lines of, yeah, it's all cool. I'll escort these guys back to where they need to be. It, <laughs> yeah, it was just so it. like, what, what is he doing? Yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, DK, what about you? Moment and line then for this. Uh, Favourite line, it's where she says "Oh, to Kirk, oh, you've seen many Orion dancers and Kirk going many times. And it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's more what he doesn't say. It's just, you sly dog. Uh, and the way he says yes, because the, the yes like trailed off. He's like, yeah. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> if you could animate yeah. that wistful remembering oh, look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're probably reading way too much into it. But are we? Just, it is Kirk. Yeah. I don't think it is. I don't think you are. <laughs> yeah. And then my favorite scene I've 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 written down here when things get rowdy at the hoedown. <laughs> I, I I kind of get that reference. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, just to give you mine, and I, I liked when the Enterprise first got sucked into this pocket in the garment of time or whatever, because as much as I didn't like the Klingon effect, I thought when it happened to the Enterprise, it was much improved and looked really cool. Uh, my favorite line, as much as it was far too abrupt and I've crapped on the actual ending, was home with all its faults is where we prefer to be. 
So, yeah. Again, it would have been nice if I explore that a little bit more with regards to the people left behind, but still a good line. So, uh, Diki, I'm going to quickly go over to you because you've got our audience response. So, uh, thankfully, we don't have much because we're running a bit late. So, uh, just the handful of responses we had from the audience for Time Trap. And uh, we'll chuck over to you for our subspace communication section. Incoming transmission. Yeah, on Facebook, uh, Kitty Spruill says, My husband and I have a Klingon Cosby from the animated series that we had to heavily rely on scenes from the Time Trap to get together. We did a trial run and then made some adjustments, so we haven't gotten pictures of our updates yet, but they're coming soon. Uh, Mastodon, uh, Strange New Worlds at 10 Forward Social, which is Adam, says, Time Trap is one of my favourites on the animated series. Very underrated. On X or Chitter, Subcommander Tal says, uh, The Time Trap is my favourite animated series episode. Shatner is putting in a bit more effort. We've got a solo cup gone an alternate universe, cooperation slash conniving by the Klingons, and all in a trim 24 minutes or so. Uh, to which you replied, Solo Cup gone, took me out. Uh, and then Subcommander Tell says, I can't take credit for it. I think I first heard it used by at Neil Toss. And Neil says, he just looks so much like he's at, oh my God, I never even read this. He just looks so much like he's at a frat party. And I bet he's <laughs> a good hangout. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and over on our Discord, Adrienne uh, says, Time Trap, I love the graveyard of ships. Number two, man, they obviously tried to save dollars with giving Nichelle three voice royal roles in one episode. Number three, core is so predictable. Ugh, selfish patak. Uh, number four, I feel like if the Time Trap was written today, Kirk would take the members of the council who long to leave the Bermuda Triangle to space with him. And then she says, thanks for including an animated series episode, Mike. I love the dramatic music. I still remember it from seeing the show on regular TV as a kid. And that, yeah, that's all we've got for the, uh, the time trap. Awesome. Uh, well, just to conclude the time trap before we move on to our lower decks review, then uh, we're just going to go around and ask everybody for their conclusion and the score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Uh, let's see. We'll start with you, Mary. <laughs> I know we'll go up counterclockwise. Uh, what's right. your conclusion and your score for this one? <laughs> Well, my conclusion is is that it, it's a bit of a flat episode for me. Um, it's predictable, and uh, you know, there's some there's some funny moments. There's some you know good things about it, but all in all, I mean, eh, you know, this one doesn't uh, stand out to me as even like one of the most stellar animated series episodes. So I give it like two and a half stars. Two point five. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Rick, we'll come to you next. What do you think? Uh, conclusion and score for the episode. So it's it's a really interesting concept that's unfortunately let down by not being explored properly in a pretty thin uh, story overall. Um, however, I, it's really then let down because it commits the unforgivable sin of bringing back Core, but not bringing back John Colicos and not doing any of the stuff that Core was great for. They could that should have just been generic Klingon captain number three. Uh, and putting core in is a big hope builder for me and a massive disappointment. So one star, one delta, sorry, one del delta. Oh, okay. Wow. I not. Uh, I am surprised I should say by that. I was not expecting it. So uh, one out of five from Rick. And what about you, uh, DK? We'll come to you next. Uh, I'm a little more generous. I've got a simple adventure story, but leaves too much unexplored. However, it does have quite a few Easter eggs, lots of aliens, some action, and overall cheesy AF. 
and I've given it three out of five. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I have a decently, again, not that long, but I have a bit of a conclusion that says one of the better animated series episodes, but not a great episode of Trek, which perhaps speaks to the nature of the series. Honestly, the ideas are not bad, although the allegories aren't subtle. It's hardly the only Trek to be guilty of that. And the idea of a disparate group being trapped in an area of space is so compelling that future series have returned to it more than once. Looking at you, Voyager. But I feel like it deserved more time here. It's remarkably rushed, and the logic for leaving the Elysian Council behind was interesting, but not well explored. More contrast should and could have been made between them getting used to their situation and Kirk's strong yearning for home. It all just felt a bit slight. That said, there are some great bits of animation, a ton of geeky Easter eggs, and the charm that often carries the animated series through. Worth a look, but not really anything special for me. Uh, and I also gave it three uh, out of five. So we add that together, share it by four to come up with our average. This might well be the lowest rating we've ever had. Uh, that comes to 2.3 out of five Ooh. for the time travel. <laughs> uh, Rick's one out of five really hurt the overall score, <laughs> I think, on that one. But uh, yeah, we have to see. Unfortunately, that's a miss because it falls below uh, below even the average. So sorry, time trap. So uh, before we move on to Wedge Dude, I'm going to take a little break. We'll be right back after this. Bored again? Interested in a new way to meet people? Just pick up the phone and call 1-809-544-GORN. There's a Gorn party <laughs> waiting for you. It's the Alicia Party Line. Talk with a new Gorn 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or whatever timing your area of space constitutes. Again, that's 1-809-544-GORN. Call now. Charges apply. We'll move on to Wedge Dudge, the episode now then. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about Lower Decks, uh, the episode Wedge Dudge, as I've said. Little brief behind the scenes section, not very much here before I get into bits and pieces. Uh, but I did listen to the audio commentary on the Blu-ray for this one and stuff as well. So I have bits and pieces that I know and uh, can talk about, hopefully. Uh, but hopefully not for too long, because <laughs> time's not on our side. But uh, yeah, mm. so um, title, as I've mentioned, is the Klingon for three ships. It appears... In Klingon script on the screen, which is a first, uh, not only an alien language title, but actually appearing in that language. Uh, the writer of the episode, Catherine Lynn, apparently used to cosplay, cosplay sorry, as Kalin, using her first initial and the first three letters of her name, obviously, uh, who was a half Vulcan, half Klingon. Then apparently she got lazy and just decided she was going to be a Vulcan called Kalin. When it came to write this episode, she simply changed the K to a T. And that's why we now have the Vulcan character, Kalin, which I thought was quite interesting. Um the Ritos shirt uh, that appears in this episode, I forget if it's the first time or not, but it's brought up by uh, Mike McMahon in the commentary, who just says that they have so many references to the uh, older Trek series that he wanted a reference to Discovery, and he loved the disco t-shirts that they wore for working out and stuff, but naturally wanted Lower Decks to have a bit of a rubbish version, so that's why the acronym is kind of crap, <laughs> why it looks a bit daft. Um, McMahon described the character Mach, 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 I can't do it. As the Klingon analogue of Brad Boimler, he also stated with regards to this character, I love Mark. My whole thing with Klingons is that I just love a Klingon that doesn't backstab. A Klingon that's like the most honest in their motivations. Episode writer uh, Catherine Lynn noted in the commentary that she named the character after the Klingon word for small. Though his name was spelled as Ma'ak in the subtitles, which was also the way it was pronounced in the episode, the subtitles are incorrect and McMahon later explained the difference between the spelling and the pronunciation. 
So, uh, I won't get into anything else because I don't want to spoil anything. So, we will move quickly on then to the, the writing and the plot of these episodes, which will be the first section. And TK, we haven't come to you first for a while. We'll come to you. What do you make of the episode of Wedge Dooge? Oh, I absolutely love this one. I think it's a really <laughs> good episode. It's the fact that it, you know, it takes a look at the lower decks on, uh, you know, the three ships, four if you count the coder at the end, and I, I, five technically if you count the packlet ship as well. Gosh, yeah, uh, yeah. I just absolutely love it. It's full of really good characters. Uh, in fact, probably my favourite character from the entire of lower decks. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it's it's done really well. It's done really well. I'm, I, I was, I've, I've been, you know, up and down with regards to uh, lower decks since it began, but uh, this one absolutely. This, this is the one that nailed it for me. This is the one where I got on board and, and thought, yeah, okay, I can, I, I can, I can deal with this. I, I think there were some uh, really good, uh, really good moments, really good lines, and uh, some great characters in this. Can't fault it, honestly. Well, I'll probably come back to you to break it down bit by bit because I've got it broken down in my notes into the actual individual ships just for clarity's sake. Uh, so I'll come back to them one at a time when I kind of lead the conversation that way. But before that, uh, Rick, how did you feel about this episode just in general and the writing and plot of it? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was really well done. Um, I lo you know, I love the idea of exploring lower decks on different ships as well. Um when you get the Klingons, and all the lower deck Klingons are like getting up and going on about it, they're going to have a, a day of great honour scrubbing plasma conduits or something. <laughs> I love my personal favourite is um, when he, he's taking the tog for a walk and just says, It was an honourable bowel movement. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Just like you, we've had occasional episodes that have been very Klingon focused, but just we've always had a bit of a, a prism of a Starfleet observer there, you know, like. Riker on the exchange or Dax and Worf being on the uh, Rotaran. Um, so this, it was just pure Klingon and everything. And it was, they really sort of played up the Klingon way of talking, which was just brilliantly done. It was sure, really yeah. funny. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so what about you, Mary? Your general thoughts on the episode's writing and plot? Um, I thought that this episode was fantastic. I love um, seeing what seems to be, you know, like three disparate place you know places you know species doing their own things get tied up together in a very witty you know uh way in how the the episode went i don't know for i'm like i'm not going to tell what happened so just uh i really enjoyed it and honestly this episode in watching it again um brings you know like their tying the things from the, this new season that happened in this episode. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to get caught up, this is one that they should watch if they don't watch everything. Without getting into heavy spoilers, uh, on the commentary of this episode, Mike McMahon does note that uh, Tulin as a character was someone they immediately took to, but obviously most of season three had been written. So yes. Tulin would become hugely important in season four. So again, for that reason, if nothing else, this being that character's first appearance and when she gets assigned mm -hmm. to the Cerritos, yes. it is a pivotal episode for you to have to watch to, to carry on with season four going forward, I think. Okay, we might as well get it out of the way and ask you, first of all, uh, what were your favourite lines of comedy then in the, or moments in the episode? Because that's what Lower Decks is, ostensibly, as a comedy. Uh, so, DK, we'll come to you first again because you were kind of hinting at some of them. 
Uh, anything you have noted down or any particular favourites that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a couple. Uh, at the start with the, the Klingons, like, you know, unless I, when he's on about his spear, unless I die a glorious death, in which case someone else can have it. <laughs> Fair and, enough. Uh, you know, Shaq saying, take your never ending bonfire of rage and bury it in the clay. And, you know, Rutherford <laughs> not long after going, ooh, a puppy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have to I have to say it because it comes in here that one of my favorite lines fighting fascism is a full time job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love uh, Klingon blood runs as reddish pink as ever. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Color. Yeah. And uh, I love that we have replicators. Why is there a chef? That's just shady. <laughs> You always pick the chef, yeah, because we have replicators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think yeah. there's some really, really nice little lines in this one. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, we'll come to you next, then Rick, and uh, any that you haven't been mentioned that you wanted to bring up. Uh, DK didn't mention it. It has been mentioned, but yeah, and childish as it is, it was an honourable bowel movement. Just cracks me up. <laughs> 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 Yep, <laughs> one of the best. Anything else, or, or can we move along to Mary? Um, no, I think, yeah, move along, because, yeah, I can't think yeah. DK covered all my other ones. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, then, Mary? Um, the other one that I had was actually uh, where uh, Dr. Ta'ana wasn't sure that she had uh, turned on the safety protocols. And I, <laughs> it just, it, it was just so very, she's she's the chief medical officer, and her lack of about somebody oh, she gives really zero f's mean. just generally yeah <laughs> and i and i love that about her and i it just anyways it just it tickled me that one tickled yeah. me. yeah there's something <laughs> about the way jillian vigman plays that character as well where she's just constantly she's like dr mccoy times 10 the way she's just crusty and like i don't give an f <laughs> what are you talking about just get on with it <laughs> like it's hard to uh to put into words but yeah i know what i mean character wise i i but, thought um, that was maybe her cat side overruling her medical officer side yeah, yeah. Maybe. yeah. <laughs> we forget she is a cat. Well, occasion at least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. Uh, right. So, uh, I, I have a few things. Then I wanted to mention first of all, they actually do something with the Tamarian guy, Kayshon, and something pretty funny, which is when Boimler thinks he's understood the language and then unwittingly insults him. <laughs> so he basically calls him fat in Tamarian. I forget what it is, but it's just pretty amusing. Um, I think it I was like the, the Myra when he said Myra instead of somebody else's name. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I like the Star Trek V references, Boimler wearing the Go Climber rock shirt and using the gravity boots, but then traditionally, as you would expect, falling and doing the Boimler scream is pretty amusing. Um, Boimler's whole thing, I, was, I, I thought it was probably the weakest part of the episode, but there was something amusing about the fact that it's, he's trying to fit in by saying he's from Hawaii. And it turns out none of them are, <laughs> but but they're all from the moon instead. So it still doesn't fit in. Um, I think that for me that this was, I, I could be wrong, but it seems like it's taken from the episode lower decks from next gen when the, I think it's called Sam something tries to bond with Riker by saying like, oh, I've heard that you're from Canada. And Riker's like, no, no I grew up in Alaska. And the guy's like, oh, well, they get a lot of snow, I suppose. <laughs> so he, it just, completely tries and fails to bond with Riker. And I was like, I was wondering if that's where they took that idea from. Because it's not as good as the other uh, lower decks of the ships things, the Klingon and the Vulcan, but it's an interesting thing nonetheless. Uh, just the way that Talin just seems perfectly calm. And they're all just like, people will not accept these outbursts from you, Talin. <laughs> like, 
that's an outburst to a Vulcan, is it? All right. Yeah, they said she was out of control in that first yeah. scene with all of them. She walks away to go uh, talk to the captain, and they're like, she is out of control. Yeah. <laughs> all she did was just, just nothing. <laughs> Awesome. And yeah, the this is brought up in the commentary as the favourite line by the, the writer and by Mike McMahon, but they say that the way that uh, Talyn says, um, when they say the people have started talking, she responds with, well, I hope they also notice how unbothered I am by their assessment. And they say they love that because that's the most Vulcan way to just say F you that you could possibly imagine. And I'm like, yep. Kinda well, got that, that or actually how she walked out when she got her reassignment and she gave the Vulcan salute as she was walking away, did not face her commanding yeah. officer and said, live long and prosper. Like there was so much attitude in that. And I was oh, like, yeah. Ooh, that was great. It, Cause it was very, it was very Mariner. It was very, yeah, Mariner. well, that's, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up in terms of writing is that, um, again, the writer has said that the lower decks characters are basically analogs to the characters we know. So Talyn is the Vulcan Mariner and Mach is the Klingon Boimler. Um, they don't really go into it beyond that. So I, I don't think there's anything, you know, there's not really an equivalent of Tendi or Rutherford as such. But yeah, it's interesting that they, they did that. And I can't believe, like I said, it hasn't come up sooner that this idea of other species as lower decks, you know, the, the, the people that do the grunt work. But I will say, because you kind of brought it up, but I have to say as well, how, how amusing the joke is on the end when the, the Borg ship lower decks and it's just Borg regenerating and doing nothing <laughs> for the entire like three minutes of credits is just deeply amusing. But on the incredibly nerdy side, even those Borg are analogs of the four characters because one of the Borg has rolled up sleeves so that it matches Mariner and the lights in all of their different facial implants match the uniform colours for their division to match the little text guys. I did not notice that. I didn't either. It comes up in the commentary and I was like, that is genius. That is so smart. I'm going to go That's back some... and watch it now. That's some deep cut detailing. God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love how these guys do this. I really do. It's one of the things where I love about Lower Decks so much. It's just they take such care in what mm. they do. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, the, like I said, the thing, it balances the humor with, you know, actual serious being Trek really well. And I've said that before. And, it, you know, that's how they try to sell the, the show is that a lot of people that wouldn't give it a chance because they're like, well, it's just comedy. It's ridiculous. It's maybe not canon. And it's like, no, it is. It's a Star Trek show. You just... You know, it's allowed to be a comedy, but also still fully be a track show with all these themes and ideas. Um, and that kind of relates to my my last point that I was going to make about the writing and plot and ask you guys about, which was I was genuinely surprised that at the end of this episode, like I figured the three ships would come together in some way, but I did not expect the big reveal about that it was the Klingons that had been working with the Packleds. Uh, you know, that they'd basically conspired with them to frame Captain Freeman and they were trying to discredit the Federation. But naturally being, you know, a nicer Klingon Mach, you know, challenges as captain in that Klingon style takes over and says it's dishonorable. And yeah, you basically have the, the really cool firefight with some cool adventure music and stuff at the end there. So what did you guys think? Did you expect that in this sort of comedy-ish episode? And did how did you respond to it? Uh, Rick, we'll come to you first. I don't know why. <laughs> it absolutely made sense to me because I think we've, we've clearly established... Um, a bit in next gen and quite thoroughly in DS9 that despite all their all their big talk about honor there's a lot of Klingons are not very honorable yeah so um, yeah I, I don't know if I necessarily say what would say I saw it coming but when it did come I was a bit like yeah so the captain's a jerk but also you know kind of like well we started on this Klingon ship 
with the with the with the the challenge to the captain mm-hmm. and we never explored why that happened so actually was that first officer actually really the honorable one and is mark like jockeying for a position where he's going to have to do the same thing yeah so yeah, yeah. I th- it, was, it was massively consistent for me i thought it, it worked i really oh, I, it fit, I, definitely because as you said you're following yeah. mark the whole time and you're like he's building up to challenging the captain but you don't know what reason there's going to be for it and um, I mean, as soon as the captain hit the targ, I was like, "Oh, that guy's dead." You can't, you can't kick the dog, metaphorically speaking, and, no. and live in these shows. So he's a goner right there. Um, and then the targ obviously is the one that turned on him and turned the tide of the fight. So the bit of poetic justice there. Um, what was I saying? So yeah, and and I will see the other sort of humorous thing that I forgot. I know it's a kind of old recurring joke, and they've probably played it to death. But I still laughed at the backleds when they were like, "We need another one of those things." We used it, and it's like it's a bomb. You use it once. What are you talking about? And I just don't <laughs> understand because <laughs> that's the backleds. So yeah. Um, what about you then, uh, Mary? What did you make of this kind of surprisingly deeper uh, law thing that we went into here at the end of the episode? I mean, I thought I, I, I agree. I think uh, what Rick was saying is right, you know, because there, there's a lot of talk of Klingon honor and everything, but a lot of them can be hired out and be mercenaries and be out for themselves and can be bought. And that's basically, I think all the races kind of have those people, which, you know, is something that's like explored a little bit, uh, you know, as we go into lower decks like with the one gal who's like trying to find uh treasures and stuff like that and steals them um so (laughs) humans can do the same thing so i yeah i just found this uh i did i find i found it to be something that was consistent with their with the culture and uh although i was a little bit just a little maybe offended along with the Cerritos that the Vulcan ship really didn't want to talk. And they were like, yeah, we're done. Mm. And they just like peaced out. Yeah. That was the other thing that I kind of skipped over and didn't mention as well is that being Vulcans, they never admit to the fact that Talin was completely in the right because it's her kind of neutrino detector or whatever it is that ultimately leads them to reveal that it is the Klingons and Packleds and brings the three ships together. And she kind of, you know, if she hadn't done that, which they were saying, like, it's a waste of your time, you're, you're ridiculous, you're wasting resources and whatever. But it turns out that was what saved the day. And their response to that is basically, okay, we've had enough of you, we're shipping you off to Starfleet. And it's like, she was right, though. <laughs> so where do, you, where do you get off with that? Which is why I think I responded more positively in the same way that you did to her, like, basically... As you said, not even looking at him with the salute and like, yeah, yeah, live long and prosper, whatever. <laughs> you guys are jerks. So, but again, that's the Vulcans ever since Enterprise, really, isn't it? They're very uh, stilted and stoic and mm-hmm. mean at times. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I found them a little bit meaner than than I than maybe I had expected them to be. It's weird because they seem to fit the Enterprise as in the series Enterprise Vulcans, more than anything we'd be used to from the era that like Lower Decks is in. But I think I was kind of visually cued in for that because it's clearly an Enterprise era Vulcan ship <laughs> to okay. start with. So I was like, ah, okay. So my head was already going to that place. And again, the Vulcans, like any other species, there's different types. And so you will get the odd ones that are jerks to, to the ones like Talin that aren't, you know, that are quite reasonable. Uh, so perfect. I think she's... She's probably in the right place being on a Starfleet ship, whether she likes it or not, I think. So... <laughs> Cool. What about you, DK? Any thoughts about uh, about that in general, or no? <laughs> just just with regards to the law. I mean, when you when you compare the runtime on this 
to the mm. runtime on the animated series. It's only marginally, uh, you know, a marginally longer runtime, and the sheer yeah. amount of characterization mm. and law that they put into this episode. Yeah, I know a it's lot. It's like of a minute and a half longer than TAS, and yet it feels yeah, like twice the length. It does. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people, and I was one of them initially, to discount lower decks because you think, oh, it's just a light-hearted look at the Star Trek universe. It's just going to be, you know, taking the mick out of it, and there's not going to be anything substantial there. As I say, this is the episode that convinced me, and I defy anybody to watch this episode and come away thinking, oh, you know, these people do not know their stuff because, as oh, I say, you compare it to the animated series, and it's just miles ahead. And I, and I say that as a fan of the animated series. Oh, yeah, I mean, but the animated series is the 70s and was a very different beast. I mean, you look at how, how much we both love Star Trek Prodigy, by the way, save Star Trek Prodigy, and, uh, and that's the same. It's, it's, it's Trek. It's just Star Trek. The fact that it's animated is irrelevant, and the fact that the word X is animated and a comedy is irrelevant to overall the idea. It's still so much Star Trek. These people love Star Trek. They're respectful to it, even within the jokes, and... You know, you can't, you don't have to be allergic to humor. It's not the first time Star Trek's done comedy. I mean, you know, whether it's successful like The Trouble with Tribbles or not so much like that one with Max Headroom in from Next Gen, <laughs> it's all, all the gamut, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the reasons why it, it stands out as proper Trek and can be a lot more, you know, serious than you might think, one of the reasons I think for that is the acting, which again conveniently brings me to that section. Uh, so, Mary, what did you make of the the acting just in general? And do you have any like highlights that you would uh, you'd point out from this? Um, well, I really enjoyed it. Again, Lower Decks is my favorite right now. I mean, it, it it's literally my second favorite series of all of Star Trek. So I'm. It's only because Prodigy's not on right now, though, right? I'm a super <laughs> fan, and Voyager is my number one. But you know, um, I just love Lower Decks, and I love the characterizations on there, and. Um, but I really do think that it's the Vulcans that stand out to me because of, you know, like I said, the, the little slight snarkiness. And, and while we were, you know, we were talking about the animated series and like, oh, the acting kind of comes across as flat and everything. Mm -hmm. And but then we all highlighted Spock for his little bit of sparkle there. <laughs> I feel the same way with this one because I'm like, oh, Yeah. This is a, this is what really stands out. You know, I go to the Vulcans and, you know, we're hearing them talk to each other and just doing their stuff. I, you know, would anyone like to play chess <laughs> after we are done with our second ship? Yeah. I am going to be working on a loot piece that will take me several hours. Yeah. I can play chess. But the way that it's delivered and then Talyn comes in and she says just the stuff that she says in the same tone. And yet she is unhinged. And I just that's love what it. I, yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant about finding it hilarious is that she's using exactly the same cadence mm -hmm. and not saying anything that we'd think of as bad where she's just like, I, I, will, I will remain on the bridge and work on my project. And they're like, these kinds of outbursts will not stand. I'm like, right? what? She's not, <laughs> she's not even speaking quickly. Yeah. It, was, it was very thoughtful, but I loved it because they were just so perturbed. By it. And yeah. I, I, and then, you know, then at the end when she, you know, told her commanding officer to live long and prosper, and there was some sass in it. I was like, mm -mm. perfect. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, to mix it up, I'll come to you then, DK. Next, any thoughts on just the acting in general? I just, I, I just love it. And 
you know, we've got to go to Tillin because I just think it's just an outstanding new character. Yeah, uh, I, I made a note of that actress because she's so good. Her name is Gabrielle Ruiz, and she's incredible as Tillin in the three appearances I think I've seen her in so far. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, pretty much all of the cast. I always love uh, Tony Newsom and, mm-hmm. and Jack Wade, but, you know, even down to, and I don't think up until this point you'd actually seen that much of him at that point, Shax. He was there, but he did not delved into him that much, I don't think. I don't think there's a, a, a bad actor in this. I, I would agree with that, and you've kind of said everything. But, Rick, uh, you have the challenge now of any anything that hasn't been said about the acting that you think. <laughs> yeah, I think the targ is spot on. <laughs> I absolutely thought that targ, you know, the voice. <laughs> yeah, incredibly done. The everything else then, the direction, special effects, music and sound. I don't have very much, but um, I'm going to come to you guys. And Rick, we come to you last, so we'll come to you first. Any overall thoughts on any of these things, just quickly? Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing works really well. It's put together nicely. I I, I think the battle st- scene was really good. Um, mm. And, you know, it's not maybe something that sort of sticks out so much. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy the, the style of, of, of the battle scene and everything going on with that. Um, I particularly also appreciate everyone going to battle stations and they're all in their off-duty stuff, so they're in in their various costumes if they've been on the holodeck. Oh, or on the... And that was an Easter egg dream when you saw the Ambojitsu costumes and yeah. the Troy and uh, Crusher workout costume and everything yeah. running through the hall. Yeah. <laughs> I love the music in the battle. It's very James Horner, mm. Ratha Khan kind mm. of thing. I love, love, love that. I'm glad you said that because I had that note as well. So I wanted to do the same thing again and go through uh, hits and misses for this episode. Again, one each. Why not? Uh, so uh, hits. Mary, we'll come to you first. What would you say was a hit from this All right. Episode? My my big hit, and I think we've hit on it a lot, is Talyn. Talyn mm. was truly, I believe, the star of the show, of this episode. She awesome. just She just came out, and there's a reason why she's been brought back as a like a regular series character she deserves it uh, so uh, um it's probably safe to say that's your favorite character or no <laughs> yes she absolutely was my favorite character um i have uh, i was i've actually been working on a cosplay of her rick what would you say is a hit from this episode sorry i got distracted so i, I very nearly said uh to Lynn, but then i thought uh, someone else is going to say that so uh, I just think the concept of lower decks on different ships is an absolute hit. Seeing seeing, yeah. seeing this lower decks idea on, on different you know, Vulcans and Klingons is amazing, and it's absolutely spot on. So there's, I feel like they could have done any old rubbish with this episode. They did brilliant, but even if they did any any old rubbish, the concept was so good it probably still would have been a great episode. Yeah, and as I said before, the fact that I mean we knew it was going to happen, but the way they cleverly brought all the ships together at the end, just brilliant writing, really, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, DK, what would you say as a hit? One thing. Tillin. Oh, you can't say the same thing. We have to pick different things. Oh, well, okay. Red Alarm. <laughs> oh, yay. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Red Alarm. Yep. I, I have so many things, but you've all kind of said it, so I'll just say, even though it's repeating what you'd already said, DK, I just think there's so much packed into the 24 minutes or whatever it is, and I love that. So that's my hit. Uh, but one thing that you think, if you have anything, would you would say as a miss... And again, we'll go the reverse way, so DK will come to you first. One oh, miss. Gosh. 
Again, you can't just say nothing if that's how you feel. <laughs> yeah, I can't think. I can't think of a single thing on this one. Fair enough, Rick. Anything from you? <laughs> I, I genuinely struggle to think of anything that I didn't like or enjoy about this episode. I, I would be right. reaching. I'd, I'd be like literally just trying to make something up. So no, no, no misses. Fair enough. Yeah, this I feel seems the same to board well. Yeah, yeah oh, this enough. one. Th like I said, I feel like this is probably one of the best episodes you know, thus far of Lower Decks with the writing and just all of it. And so to find something would be nitpicking. Right. So we've kind of touched on this already. So your favorite character moment and line. We know that Mary's is to Lynn. I'll just put it out there and say that's mine yep. as well, favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, DK and Rick, favorite characters, DK. To Lynn. And Rick? Yes, to Lynn. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Four out of four again. We are, we are <laughs> it's her live long and prosper line I know we yep. talked about it earlier That's fair enough, so what was your favourite moment uh, Let's see, Mary <laughs> From the episode uh, My favourite moment was As uh, as Talyn was leaving In that first Vulcan scene Where they were like, she is out of control <laughs> And they just Looked and watched her And I, I just yep. I found it hilarious <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. I can't argue with that. What about you, Rick? It um, it is when the Targ jumps on its own on a, on the captain because you know it it's it's going to help defend the guy who's actually looked after it, who's taken it out for its honourable bowel movements. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Again, can't we? Really Heartwarming. Heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, it you love to see it. Yeah. Uh, DK, what about you? What is it? Favourite line or favourite? Favourite moment. Favourite moment, uh, pottery class. Ah, oh, okay. Another good one. I went with the climactic, uh, the battle, the space battle and everything that, that it encompasses, because uh, I'm basic. <laughs> so, and yeah, favourite line in that case then from the episode. Uh, we'll go the same way, Mary. Why not? We'll come to you first. It, it really was the live long and prosper. Okay, sorry. I, mean, I, know, I know I'm going to like, I'm like, I'm repeating myself here, but it really was. It's I should really have registered that. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you repeat it. <laughs> it's okay. um, Rick, what about you? So I really liked um, when Boimler walks in um, on Mariner and the captain on the phaser range, their <laughs> argument. <laughs> it's just so it's just like it's it's mariner get just getting out so much annoyance at her so mm. about and you had to tell the whole ship that i have bad cramps and it's just <laughs> it's yeah. such a it's human not, uh, moment i will say because mary will kill me as a voyager fan if i don't point it out it's not a phaser range they're playing velocity the game yep, from voyager oh <laughs> you're right you're all right i'm sorry uh dk your favorite line uh, Mary mentioned it earlier, it's that she has lost all control. <laughs> My favourite line, I can't believe nobody's mentioned, but it's when the Klingons are mocking the Vulcans and they just go, logical, are you a Vulcan? Ooh, avoid death and cower. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> like the sarcastic species insulting each other, you don't see it much, but it's hilarious. Uh, right, well, we're almost done, I promise you, listeners uh, and, and viewers. But again, I have to pass over to you, DK, for the audience response in our subspace communication section. Incoming transmission. Uh, from Tom on Facebook. Tom Swain, uh, yeah. Yeah, he said, I loved the crossover in, uh, into glimpses of Klingon and Vulcan lower decks. This episode did make me wonder why we don't see officers out of uniform more often. However, the thought of all crew having a bridge buddy seemed a little far-fetched. 
personally, it's great that they touched on the human element of wanting to belong. After all, that's one of the reasons places like Hit or Miss exist. Oh, thank you for that bit of ass kissing there, Tom. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, the next one's on... Just bear with me, I've got to switch, switch things in. And uh, on X, David Muller... Uh, at Analog Day says, I actually never watched much of the animated series, but I love Lower Decks. It's my favourite Star Trek series right now. Kindred well, spirit, Mary. <laughs> Vince Anthony says, I'm very excited to see where they go with Tallinn. Vulcan Starfleet members are my favourite Star Trek characters by far. Uh, Jonathan Leon says, Red Alarm! Red Alarm! Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, and then... Uh, you posed a question, Mike. Uh, which ship would you want to serve on? A Borg Cube, well, 90182, Vulcan Cruiser, Cheval, Klingon Bird of Prey, Chata, Packlid Clump Ship, Packlid, or uh, yeah. USS Cerritos? I will say I can't take credit for that. It was actually a promo thing that Paramount Plus put out, so I shared oh, it as it? a picture. Just to represent the episode, I shared it as a picture on all the Facebook groups, and everybody, as I should have expected, completely ignored the question I asked, which was, what do you think of the episode, and answered the question, which ship would you like to serve on instead? So <laughs> there <enough>. we go. <laughs> Uh, well, Kitty Spruill, Rachel Hendricks, Mar Bays, Exy Trek Jedi, Colin Belshear, Marcus Cole, Sean Gregovich, Eve Zellick, Gregory M. Chin, and Samantha McGuire all said simply Cerritos. Uh, Jason Tech Lord Sherwood says, I would love to serve on the Cerritos, mostly because there are many days I feel like I already serve on a Packlet ship. Uh, <laughs> Matthew White says, I'd rather fly into a binary pulsar than serve on the Cerritos. I'd pick the Vulcan ship if I had to choose from a lower deck ship. Richard Allen Barker says, I'm Starfleet all the way. The Cerritos, no matter what, a starship is always the best ship in the stars. Brian Dennison says, three guesses, and then he sent a picture of himself. So that's that's over to you for that, Mike. Uh, for our Alex, audio listeners, he's, uh, he's got cuckling on Gosbley on. It is very prominent. <laughs> so, yeah, Alex Tappin says the Cheval because it's full of emotionally unavailable hotties. Uh, ben Adams says, not the Chata. Dan Mack says, Packled, I've been charging days. And Neil Allen Matheson says, I could probably be captain on a Packled ship. It might be fun. Rowena Bellingham says, I'd serve on the Cerritos and give the crew a sick DJ event. Nice. Uh, Eric Chung says, a civilian vessel of some kind. Daniel McCown Jr. says, is there a sixth choice? <laughs> uh, Discord. Adrian of uh, our Adrian says this is a fantastic episode. I've watched it several times and it never gets old. Which ship do I want to serve on? Well, I'll study with the Vulcans, party with the Klingons, and live on the Cerritos, where my friends and I will observe the Borg cube from afar and completely avoid those pesky packleds. And uh, we've got I've got one more here from Angela on Facebook who says I enjoyed it, and on reflection, it also suggested how much people of different races and cultures have in common with each other it's obviously a piece about the importance of being yourself and not change who you are in an effort to fit in also i want to cling on doggo <laughs> nice understandable <laughs> okay so uh, is that the last of the audience response then yeah it is yeah Fair enough. So we're on to the uh, the usual then, the conclusion and score out of five Starfleet Deltas. I feel like we're probably going to end up with a better score than we did for the time trap. So uh, let's see, how have I done this? Mary, we'll come to you first for your conclusion and score, please. Well, like I said, um, I'm going to keep on saying I'd love Lower Decks. I think Lower Decks is always solid, but this episode, you know, in and of itself is one of the best ones that they have. I give it a five. 
Okay, fair enough. Uh, Rick, what about you? What did you? Uh, what would you say about it, and what would you give it? Um, it's an episode that takes the lower decks concept and then runs with it in a whole awesome direction to give us a bit more insight into other races, and it makes the absolute best of it. Five out of five dollars. Five, five, five. Wow. Okay, two perfect scores. What about you, DK? Uh, not only is it fun, but it fits so much into a small runtime. I could have sat through double the amount of uh, running running time for this one. Other than that, I can't fault it. I've given it 4.5, and that's oh. literally, that is just because of uh, it's too short to me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, I said, that's where was it? Uh, a breakneck speed episode, it almost feels like you have whiplash when it first ends. Maybe that's why the final gag works so well, since it doubles as a come down. There's so much that just feels trekky infused from the bigger story beats to the smaller references, from animation to voice acting. The central idea of seeing the lower decks on other ships, along with ours, is genius, and it's surprising that it took until the penultimate episode of season two to do it, but oh boy, it works. There's not much I can criticize, but if I'm brutally honest, again, the runtime and the pacing does mean that a few big plot points really don't get the focus they should. It's also noteworthy that Boimler's storyline becomes easily the weakest and, for me, the least funny. But this doesn't really chip away too much from just how cool and layered this is. It's a treat for Star Trek fans, and it's everything that I want Lower Decks to be. Uh, and I also gave it 4.5 out of 5. Um, for the same reasons as UDK, I, I was very close to a 5, but I just had to be a bit brutal there. So we add those together, share them by four, and we've gone from one of our lowest scores to probably one of our highest. Uh, for Wedge Dudge, that comes to 4.75 out of five. Um, nice. That's that's easily going to top the leaderboard so far this season, and with only Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country left to go, Ooh. it might well end up winning the overall series. We'll see uh, how well that film does. So that's uh, awesome we all very much like that so yeah one one miss one hit not uh, not too bad all that remains for me to do is to say thank you for sticking with us if you've stuck around this long thank you for all of uh, our guests and my co-host for sticking with us for that length of time as well hopefully you've all had a fun time um it's I been to... absolutely delightful i've had a great you know, time oh that's awesome it's, it's always a delight I love that I have to put it on screen, by the way, for audio listeners that completely unprompted, we've all come up with uh, animated Star Trek puns for our names. So <laughs> <laughs> so from Lieutenant Mo Wills, uh, I'd have to pass over and say, uh, D. Curious, anywhere that you want to shout out or anything you want to say before we go? <laughs> well, I am on Blue Sky, but I've done absolutely jack with it so far. So pretty much no. Fair enough. So, uh, Airy, where can people find you on the internet? And, uh, and oh, is there anything they, you want to shout out? They can find me pretty much everywhere. I have a TikTok. I have an Instagram that's dedicated to my cosplay stuff. I'm also on, let's see, I'm on Blue Sky, Threads, um, Shitter, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I call it Twitter. It's the only thing I'll dead name. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, let's see, what else am I also, I'm also on, um, oh gosh, uh, I'm looking at all of my things, because I do, Hive, I'm actually on Hive, too. Wow, I've so, never even attempted yeah, to join Hive. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on a bunch of things, and if I maybe post on each of them at least once a week, but I'm the most active on Twitter and, uh, TikTok. 
that's fair enough. I'll try and find the links to put in the description, but I think you're usually under flute music with a K. Is that yeah, right? flute music with a K. You can pretty much find me. Yeah. Um, for some reason, TikTok just can't understand the word flute. So all I ever hear whenever your things come up is flutey music. And I'm like, geez, Louise, <laughs> yeah. the word flute is not that complicated, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, Arix. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Where can we find you on the internet? And uh, what do you want to shout out? Uh, so I'm on Mastodon. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I can't honestly remember my handles off the head. I've recently changed jobs, so my schedule's been all over. I've not posted anything anywhere. So I will be getting used to things and um, sort of return to them. But also, in the same vein, my podcast Ten Backward is out there and fairly easy to find if you search Ten Backward. And that is more of me talking. Yeah, about Star Trek. <laughs> Always good stuff. Yeah, glad to have you back podcasting and everything. So, yeah, and again, mm. thanks so much, everybody, for this episode. I think we've had we've all had a great time, and it's you know great guests and great co-hosts. So, can't thank you enough for joining us, uh, guests and listeners. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for us for this episode. Stay tuned. As I already said, we are finishing our Klingon-based series with our next episode, which will be a review of Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Uh, and that will be myself and DK being joined by regular returning guests, Sandra Evanson and Adrienne of SoCal. So, uh, yeah, join us for that. And let's see if uh, the undiscovered country can top Wedge Dudge on that leaderboard. So, yeah, in the meantime, be nice to each other. Uh, enjoy the, the various animated things that are coming out at the moment. And do remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Kapla. <laughs> Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening. <laughs>